Happy Monday. This is Cordelia on the We Heal Together podcast. This week's episode, I have the privilege to have Miss Carrie Goldberg, a victim's rights attorney who is on the front lines fighting for survivors of abuse, of revenge porn, of blackmail, of sexual assault, of sextortion, and online, offline harassment as well. She founded her own law firm in New York City, C.A. Goldberg Law Firm, and that is based in Brooklyn, New York. She's also the author of this absolutely incredible book called Nobody's Victim, Fighting Psychos, Stalkers, Pervs, and Trolls. If you've been following me for any amount of time, you will know that my sister-in-law, Olivia, gifted me this book, and it's an amazing book. I highly recommend it. I feel like I'm always telling people to buy this book, and... I'm not getting any compensation for this. I'm just speaking from my heart. It's an amazing book. It is linked in the show notes. So I would love if you would support Carrie and read it. It's well worth it. It's an amazing read. We're going to be discussing Carrie's work on the podcast as well as going through some of her personal life and In particular, one case we really highlight from the book, Nobody's Victim, she shed some light on some advice in certain areas, and it's an overall great episode. All of Carrie's info is in the show notes. You can find out how to follow her on Twitter and Instagram, and if you want her to represent you in court and be your attorney. That information is in the show notes. So I really encourage you guys to support Carrie by her book. That is in the show notes as well. She's doing amazing work out there. And even if you don't need an attorney right now, it's well worth it to just follow along with her journey or at least read her book, support her book. It's like I said, it's an amazing read. And as always, I am Cordelia. I host this podcast. I drop a new episode every single Monday. If you like my content, if you like this podcast, new podcasts drop every single Monday. You can follow me on Instagram at at codependentrecovery. Check the show notes for all my information, more about my Instagram, more about the podcast, more about the workbook I published or the community hangs if you want to get involved with those. All that info is there, along with Carrie's info as well. Yay! Well, let's get healing, y'all. I'm so happy you're here and I just want to start by saying I'm so honored to get to speak with you as an attorney and as a former prosecutor and as a survivor of abuse myself. 
I was gifted your book, Nobody's Victim, which, as you know, I'm obsessed with, by my sister-in-law, Olivia. She gifted it to me when I made the decision to file for divorce from my ex-husband, and she was just like, Cordelia, you have to read this. Like, this book is going to speak to you in so many ways. I feel like Carrie Goldberg, she's just going to give you all the energy you need. So I got it and I was kind of at that point where I really wasn't reading a lot you know I was kind of struggling and just going through a tough time and I started the book and I just couldn't put it down I finished it in like two days so your book made a huge impact on me and it I mean it did it helped me find my strength and I just want to thank you for your work thank you for your book and also for being here and taking time out of your day Cordelia, thank you. Thank you so much. That means that means so much to me. And also hearing about um, Olivia giving it to you like that's that's why I wrote the book. And, you know, like the, the process of writing it was hard and painful and lonely. And um, it like it makes it worth it to think about like the impact that it's having on people and just and, and hearing about that. Oh, I'm sure. Honestly, I can't even imagine. I'm sure it was re-traumatizing in a lot of ways to have to sit down and write it all out. So I completely hear you when you say it was a lonely process and a hard one. And and I had, um, you know, a, a co-writer, Janine Amber, who helped me um, with the structure and, and, um, and a, she like interviewed me and, and we kind of, crafted a lot of it together um but even so it was like I mean there were times when I would go deep into into a topic and then need to just like um like (laughs) just go for like a a long run or take a quite I mean I didn't take quite loose but you know like that that need like where it was just like whoa and there was one week where everything just poured out for me and then afterwards I was just like Oh, like it was like an yeah. exorcism. It felt like it felt yeah. like it was like a spirit leaving my body at, at moments. Oh my goodness. That's such a that's an excellent visual. I I mean I honestly can't imagine it it was an emotional book to read, but it also was I mean it's a must read. It was just very educational in a lot of ways. And it sounds like it was therapeutic at least in some points when you were writing it. <laughs> Sort of. <laughs> I needed I needed a lot of therapy during it, um, and also like leading up to it. So I mean, for for our listeners out there, um, it's nobody's victim is about um, my job as a law firm owner, and um, after I left an abusive relationship, I started a law firm to help people uh, like me because I had so much difficulty finding a lawyer who. Um, was familiar with sort of the intersection of stalking and criminal law and First Amendment law and family court law um, because my ex had stalked me and revenge porned me and then was creating false police reports about me and my whole life was was turned upside down and so this book was it's it's part about just the start of the law firm and the evolution of it and there's you know kind of some sort of just like basic entrepreneurial, like um, <laughs> hustle 
you know, parts to it. And then it's about um, some of the big cases that we've had and, and how we kind of categorize, categorize our, our clients offenders into um, four categories of, of bad guy, um, psychos, stalkers, pervs, and trolls. And, um, and I found personally that if you can categorize somebody into a type of category, sorry, I'm not being very articulate <laughs> here, but if you can kind of like associate like a, 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 a cluster of, of characteristics and behaviors to somebody, then it makes them, it makes their behaviors feel more predictable. And so if yes. you're under attack by somebody who is a stalker, then it's not as, as frightening if you can kind of predict what he or she will do basically their their levels of escalation that they will be relentlessly and unrelentingly sending text messages and that a cease and desist letter is not going to stop them and instead you have to do other things like get an order of protection or, or report it to the criminal law that's a, that's an example but but basically right. like, kind of if you're under attack here's how we fight the attacker right using using the legal system <laughs> that I mean and, I think and, that's, and smart yeah yeah it's really empowering and I like how you talk about categorizing people into those different categories because it does seem from I mean from personal experience as well that abusive people truly do tend to fall into the, I mean that cliche of okay this is textbook behavior like once you know once somebody starts telling you a story, they and they might not know at all that they're describing somebody abusive or they're describing one of the four categories that you have named. But on the other end, you're kind of already able to, you know, you're already kind of sliding them into that category in your mind <laughs> of like, okay, I've dealt with this this mm -hmm. person before. <laughs> yeah, and it, it really like the the. Um legal approach is really different. So if, if somebody's a troll, yeah. then they're probably uh, aggressing online. Um, they're probably doing it anonymously. They're, they probably is not a pre-existing relationship between the victim and the offender. And so right. there's not, um, and, and sometimes there will be like a mob of trolls going after a single person. <laughs> and so I know that if it's that kind of behavior, then um, it's not something that, that law enforcement is necessarily going to care about because if if somebody's acting anonymously they might be on the other side of of, of the globe and um it's it's not as though law enforcers are going to want to subpoena tech companies and right. extradite somebody from like you know another country um if they if they do find out who it is you know over like a harassment charge and so on the, in those types of cases um we have to get intervention from the website usually and make right. sure that the person gets banned and, and so. Yeah, I think that's amazing. And kind of to backtrack just a little bit, I think you had mentioned when you started your own firm, and if I remember from the book correctly, I think you kind of realized that when you were in Ireland and you were, as you mentioned, you were coming out and surviving an abusive relationship and not to put words in your mouth, but if I recall, I think you had kind of mentioned being let down by the justice system 
in that abusive relationship. So can you kind of walk us through just that particular abusive relationship and the ways that the justice system failed you and how that kind of sparked this badass queen that runs this amazing (laughs) victims' rights law firm? (laughs) So um, it was a four-month-long relationship. um, And I had, when I met him, I had just... Um, had like a really serious like sexual trauma that I immediately told him about like really early on in the relationship, which created um, this distrust. This this um, right. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? It kind of created this like false trust because I confided in him something really serious. He express like this massive protectiveness of me and that he was confiding in me all this stuff and so there was this like secret sharing that that um that in order for me my brain to accept that i was sharing a secret with somebody who was virtually a stranger i had to convince myself that he was somebody who i could trust and that i loved and that um you know so we we had this like instant bond based on on um this kind of manufactured um, and, and, um, sped up intimacy and, and very quickly the relationship was, it was monogamous. It was, it was really intense. It was sort of this insta marriage whirlwind thing, which I see a lot of, you know, my clients, um, uh, getting escaping and, and, um, kind of as quickly as it started, it then became really controlling and abusive. And, um, I, he was really jealous. He was always accusing me of, of cheating on him when there was no time to even be with, with anybody else. And, and, and then there was like gaslighting. Like I would come home from work and he would tell me that he'd been trying to reach me for two hours and where was I? And I must've been cheating on him. And, and I'd be like, I have text messages like between us from 20 minutes ago when I left work, <laughs> you know, but like, but it yeah. would be um, this completely manufactured, drama that then I'd have to spend the next hour trying to explain that like no 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 like like look at our phones look at the timestamps like we yeah. were just talking and um and I thought I was going crazy but also like it was I was already so into it just based on this like intimacy and and stuff and and also the shame I'd felt from this sexual trauma and I was had very quickly isolated myself from my friends and family and was just like, and, and I was kind of ashamed of how quickly I had gotten involved with him and, and um, which then further separated me and withdrew me from my other people. Um, and yeah. so like his acceptance and I mean, it was like, I was already a lawyer. I was, I was this like independent, you know, feminist who went to yeah. a college. Like I was, I was not, um, who I would have thought would just so immediately become this sort of, um, yeah, this, uh, you know, somebody who was just so in the thralls of, of somebody else. Um, and I stopped seeing my therapist because, you know, she thought it was a dangerous relationship. Right. Um, you know, like anybody who questioned it, I just removed from my life. It, I didn't want the, the, the dissonance. Um, but finally, um, it became too abusive and yeah. over, you know, just, 
I had an epiphany, um, it became really scary and I had to get out and then I did. And then he, you know, all that passion that he had been thrusting my way, he then just converted that into, Mm. um, into retaliation and, and was nonstop threatening me, tried to break into my home, hacked into my email, was was sending messages to everybody in my life, um, you know, saying all these crazy things that I was uh, like hooker, that I was pregnant, that I had STIs, that I was anorexic, you know, all these things, but there would be kind of kernels of truth. Like I was, you know, like when I was 19, I was anorexic and, and, you know, so it would be like, there'd be like a little kernel of truth and, and whatever he was, he was saying, um, which made me really self-conscious. And, and one thing that he did was he took naked pictures of me that he had, and then he sent them to me and told me that he had blind copied, like, like he was like, guess who I've blind copied. (laughs) And, and so I, that's, and it, it was um, the year 2013 when this was all going on. And I was just totally beside myself. Um, I was, I was so scared. He told me he had hired people to come sexually assault me and give me HIV. And at the time, I mean, like now that sounds preposterous, but like at the time I was like so scared of, of him that it, he was going to do that. I was like, and then I went to the police and they told me to, go to family court where I tried to get an order of protection. And I asked the judge to protect me, not just like physically, but also so that he would stop, you know, with sending naked pictures of me. And and that's when the judge told me that like, he thought I had a first amendment problem and that it was this guy's right to, to express himself this way. Like, (laughs) through my vagina sending so it. So preposterous, yes. There was no criminal law then. It was not illegal to post that stuff. It was not illegal right. to put it on social media. There were no bans on social media. Um, and um, and then and then things kept escalating. Then, then yeah. uh, he started filing false police reports against me. I got arrested. It was another four months or so before all those charges like were were dropped and finally he pled guilty. Um, and by then my life was just so overtaken. Like I was a completely changed person from all of this. Yeah. Where I, like I had lived in this constant state of, of like panic and adrenaline and I hadn't been barely able to eat or sleep for like this like six month period. And when it was finally over, I like, my body wasn't ready to accept that, okay, the charges against you have been dropped. He pled guilty. Like you're protected by a restraining order. Like I cannot accept that. And then my brain started like, um, I I started getting all these PTSD symptoms when finally, Mm -hmm. you know, I should have finally felt relieved. Instead, I like, when I'd walk down the street, I would think I would like hallucinate him. Like I would be walking and I would think it was him. And I would see him, even though it was like somebody who might be was like a different gender or six, six inches shorter yeah. like I had no and like but I'd have this like moment of panic where I think it was him my whole body would freeze and then and then like I had adjust and be like no that is not but like but like I it was somewhat differently torturous after the after like I should have 
been able to find peace. Um, right. I think that's totally valid, honestly. It, yeah, it sounds I mean, just completely traumatic and I can't even, I can't imagine. And I'm so appreciative that you shared your experience here and in your book too. But I, I, I when I hear you talk, I just wanted you to know that I feel like you're, it sounds completely valid to me. It's, I don't know how you're not like jumping around now. I think it's totally normal that your body was just like, oh my gosh, I can't take this anymore. And I'm constantly on edge, <laughs> you know? And I know that like, I mean, my, there's nothing special about me or what happened to me. I mean, I know that so many of your listeners, Cordelia, and you know, and you have been through something terrible and right. may not have been, this kind of thing. It could have been a sexual trauma. It could have been, um, you know, a situation with family or a coworker, but like, we've all been, we've all been through something yeah. that has like messed with us and like made us like kind of rethink who we are and, and our safety and, right. and, and stuff. And, and, you know, like I found, um, the process of, of, the breakup and the yeah. court system. I found that to be um, as trauma, well, not as traumatizing, but I found it to be differently, but also traumatic um, as like the, the relationship was. And so like- Absolutely. That, um, but it's like a necessary evil. Like I had to get a restraining order and I had no choice but to yeah. have to defend my, Self when I started, when I had a, a fake um, or false criminal charge filed against me, and and like yeah. feeling trapped in the justice system, even when you're like a, you know, have the privilege of already being a lawyer and understanding it a little exactly. better than most people, like it's still really, really a messed up, tra traumatizing situation. And so, so basically, you know, when I started my firm, it was after this. Thing that you alluded to when I was, um, it was like two months after he pled guilty and and stuff. And I was in the middle of this, this PTSD thing where I thought I was like seeing him all the time. And my life was just like the, sh the lowest it had ever been because the, the adrenaline from like defending myself was like wearing off. <laughs> and, yeah. and like my life didn't feel like it fit anymore. Like my family was kind of pissed off at me because he'd filed a bunch of like, he threatened them and right like and so my friendships changed and I was living at a different apartment and I didn't and like even work was different I, I worked with elderly people um and um I mean I I did guardianship and right. um helping elderly people um, but like my colleagues knew I'd been through this like experience and I felt really self-conscious about it. I just like didn't want my life anymore. Um, and I also felt like I'd been through this thing. I mean, I didn't start my firm from some place of, of like power and strength. I felt I started this firm because I wanted to die and I wanted to like tr give myself one more shot at doing something that mattered before, you know, like you know, before I, before, you know, I just, I was really desperate. I was really like at the end of my line 
when I started it. Um, but kind of starting it under those conditions when I just had nothing to lose because like life sucked and yeah. I didn't feel like any hope. I didn't feel any, like, I felt like I'd been through, I'd felt so traumatized from like that and the year before that it just felt like it was inevitable that the next year was also going to be even worse. And so like, I was like, I can't yeah. take through this, this crap. And so, so I really had no expectations for anything. And I just, but it made me stop being fear, fearful, you know, like, right. um, and that's the gift that, um, that trauma had given to me, which was that I just wasn't afraid of the same things that I used to be afraid of. I wasn't afraid of yeah. starting a business and failing. I wasn't afraid of taking risks and like being on panels and public, public speech, publicly yeah. speak. I wasn't afraid of like losing all, all my money, which at that point was only a couple thousand dollars, which I used to start the firm. I just wasn't, I wasn't scared because I was like, yeah, already. So in the toilet and what's the worst that can happen? I just fail at another thing. And, right. but, but that was, I think that's yeah. so inspiring. I think it's, and I love how you're able to come from a place of honesty and not sugarcoat it and be like, I was this heroine rising from the ashes. You know, you're really able to be honest and just be like, this is where my heart was. And I'm so glad that you took that route and you stuck with it because I feel like it all has come together really nicely for you. And I think it's, I mean, that's so empowering for others to hear. I also feel like I identify with so much that you said, even hearing you say, and even listeners that aren't lawyers, but in particular, I really resonated with what you said when you were talking about feeling like, you know, I'm already a lawyer. I'm, I'm a feminist. I am like this strong woman. And how is this all kind of happening to me? I totally relate to that because I remember in my experience feeling like I was so able to easily advocate for others. I was an attorney. I was a prosecutor. I had no problem speaking totally. up for anybody else. And uh, some people shamed me, but I also feel like I shamed myself in a lot of ways where I was like, okay, Cordelia, like, wait, why am I staying? Like I prosecute domestic violence. So what's going on? <laughs> like what's yeah. happening here? <laughs> and it's hard when yeah. you, gut, you know that like you're in a bad spot, yeah. but it's also like terrifying to leave. And it's terrifying to like yeah. change something that, and you know, like, I think it's yeah. also like, you know, we have loyalty to even to people that are, are really abusive toward us and it takes exactly. it takes a long time to feel more loyalty to yourself over them right it's so and true and i think in a lot of ways society has kind of taught us to shame ourselves and also for others to shame us because i would say that stuff to myself but other people would say it to me too they i mean i'm I will never stop being amazed at some of the rude stuff people will ask you <laughs> if you are coming out of an abusive relationship. 
I remember people asking me like, well, I mean, didn't you see the signs? Like, are you an attorney? Aren't you a prosecutor? Can't you do this? Can't you do that? And even classic, right? Exactly. My divorce process, I feel exactly how you described in that last kind of year and being let down by the justice system. And I I was with my ex for about three and a half years. We were only married for six months. And then I filed for divorce after he was abusive and many other things. Mm -hmm. Uh, I thought it would be a very quick divorce. And it literally lasted for almost a year. I feel like you can actually appreciate this, Carrie. He asked, he filed a jury demand and <laughs> I didn't represent myself. I got an attorney mainly because I was like, I don't want to have any contact with this person. So I need a, like, yeah, good, an yeah. intermediate. And honestly, <laughs> that attorney, he was the sweetest man. And I swear by the end, like, I think he might have been happier than me like when the divorce <laughs> was final because he was just like, oh my God, this is like the most insane divorce. He's like, in 20 years, I've never had anybody demand a jury. And then, I mean, to simplify things, I was literally, I wasn't asking for anything. Like I just, I was willing to take a $4,000 loss if he would just sign the papers. We had no assets, no kids, nothing to divide. And he wouldn't sign things for like eight or nine months. And the whole thing was he wanted me to sign a clause saying that I wouldn't talk about my divorce to anybody. And he filed all these things. He even filed stuff with the court about my Instagram that he found. (laughs) And he like... You know, my attorney kept saying, look, if you are saying she's defamed you, like, file a defamation case. Like, this, is, you don't get a special remedy. You can't force her to sign yeah. this. Yeah, and the court's not going to because, like, yeah, you know, like free speech. Yeah. Wow. I mean, but kind of what you said, like, I swear I just identify with everything that you're saying because I, like there were so many days where I would just cry or even like close friends or family would come from a loving place, but they would ask me, they would make me feel like I wasn't doing enough. Like they would be like, how are you not divorced yet? I don't know how I'm not divorced yet. I've done everything possible. (laughs) It's like one of the, like these things that I don't think loved ones know how painful it is to be asking people what the status of the case is. And I mean, I, I had it happen yeah. to me also. Um, like, how is it, how are you not, to, you know, like, how is this still yeah. going on? As if like, there, it's a failure on your part. But I know that my clients get asked that too, especially if they're like the victims in a criminal yeah. prosecution. People can't understand and like blame them that the yeah. case is not resolved. They don't have a concept of how long the legal process takes. Um, it's just like, but if you're stuck in it, it feels truly like, like quicksand, quicksand, if yeah. like, especially like someone in your situation, Cordelia, where all you want is to be free from this person. Exactly. Like, all you want is just to be untethered from somebody who, who has yeah. like injured you and 
And then there's this like bureaucracy that yeah. is is in control of that. Exactly. And like do all these crazy things and, and to slow it down and the bureaucracy kind of accommodates that. It's an awful feeling. It is. It, and it doesn't make, I mean, it doesn't make sense to lawyers. It doesn't make sense to the victim. It doesn't. And of course it doesn't make sense to your friends and family. Cause they're like, Cordelia, you've been trying to divorce him longer than you were married to him. <laughs> and I'm like, I yeah. know, but I don't invent <laughs> this system. I can't force him to sign these things. And, but it was, I mean, it really was just like the perfect example. I will say though, after I read your book, I put in the MDA, uh, one of the clauses contains like no dissemination of pictures oh, and videos. <laughs> that's right. Because I started thinking after I read your book, like, oh my gosh, these laws are so lacking that what if he gets so pissed at like the end of all this? you know, he tries to like send this out. So I like made that a point. He honestly like never fought that cause. He was the only thing that he was trying to do the entire time was silence me and also drag out the process as well. But it's like, he was very upset about me telling the truth. <laughs> like, well, I'm sorry that you did shitty things, but I'm definitely allowed to talk about them. Well, I'm so glad <laughs> that you like, you put your foot down and didn't let yeah. him have, take that take that story away from you, and that like yeah that huge like part of your personal history now, and that's you know like that's the consequence for being abusive is that like we can talk about your abuse exactly. Well, that's the funny thing too on my Instagram page when I have talked about him, I've only ever. I feel like because I am an attorney and because I know, like you said, how these kind of people work, I've always been very careful. And so I've only ever posted like an exact screenshot. And honestly, out of, I've never exposed his name or anything like that. So I'm like, I feel like I'm actually being kind of nice. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's like, well, I'm sorry that you sent these texts, but they're verbatim. So, yeah, I'm the same way. Like, I've I've never talked about this person's. Yeah, I've never said this person's name. I never will. Yeah, like, and like, it's not about that. You know, it's not. It's not about their name because once you live through it, you realize, okay, you're just like everybody else that falls into like this kind of abusive category (laughs) like it's like and it's not about the you know like combat like I yeah like the combat is is not fun yeah exactly (laughs) it's hell no exactly and like you said it just it forever changes you it really does like I mean my divorce literally just got finalized and part of the reason I think he drug it along too is because I moved for him so I moved to East Tennessee because that's where his family lives and that's where he wanted to be and so then the pandemic happened and then the divorce actually the divorce started like right before pandemic but it kind of caused me to be like isolated and so I really relate to what you say 
because my podcast and kind of graphic design and Instagram and all that, it wasn't born out of a place of strength. And I always tell people that (laughs) because people are always like, oh my gosh, you're so strong. You're doing this, you're doing that. And I'm like, I was at my absolute lowest point when I started these things. And I was like, just feeling like so much anger from feeling like somebody was silencing me and feeling anger at like the judicial process and feeling really isolated and feeling like there was nothing I could do with my life and I couldn't move forward with my life until, you know, all all this came together. And so that's when I was like, I'm going to, I need some hobbies. I need to like find a creative outlet. (laughs) Well, I'm, I mean, Cordelia, this is so recent for you. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like you are where I was when I started my firm. Like you're starting. Yes. Up yeah. again. And, and like, it's, it's kind of an honor and privilege making me a little emotional, like thinking that oh. it's, it's like, it's a moment of like, Oh my gosh. No, I'm too. Also yeah. like, I didn't know if I was going to survive the year. And I'm not saying that that's you, your position, but it's like, it's hard the the like time right now where you're just re rebuilding and not knowing exactly what you're building or working toward. Like that's, that's a hard moment. (laughs) And it is, it is. And I I can tell you like as somebody who's now seven years ahead of of you, yes, like it's worth it. It's going to go great (laughs) for you. (laughs) And like you would like just keep, Yes. Keep enduring. Like my favorite Peloton teacher, this, I seem, sounds so cliche. Oh my God. You're honestly my twin. I'm obsessed with my Peloton, but go ahead. Yeah. Like Robin, (laughs) she's like, the only way to build endurance is to endure. And I'm like, oh my God. I love her. (laughs) Oh my God. That's so true. She's amazing. I love Robin. I love Emma and I love Allie. I take their classes. I love Jess. (laughs) Jess King. Ooh, she's great too. I the Peloton has been honestly a lifesaver for me too. The Peloton and my dogs. They I like know. have gotten me through it. <laughs> yeah, the Peloton and my dog, like they got me through the pandemic. And I mean yeah. the law too, the clients, but like my staff members. Yeah. So I guess there's a long list. <laughs> <laughs> but, no, that's amazing. That yeah, I mean it warms my soul. It always makes me feel better too to like hear somebody that's a little bit ahead of you that's been through something really similar and just, you know, seeing them thrive and seeing them just a little bit further down the road. That always makes me feel a little better. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, honestly, that it means a lot. I, I feel like I'm in a really good place now. I made therapy a really big priority mm-hmm. for me and that's an amazing. And then almost as soon as the divorce was finalized, I am, I'm switching roles within my company and I'm moving to, let's see, next week I'm moving to New York next Saturday. And so I'm getting the fuck out of East Tennessee. Very excited. Yeah. Congratulations. Well, thank you. So I hope that we can have a socially distanced, you know, meet like, yeah. IRL like exactly I know maybe our pups and us we can go to a dog park or something 
<laughs> that was honestly the only thing when I was like looking at apartments and everything. I was like, okay, I want to be near a park. So I'm I'm very excited. I think it'll be awesome. I will definitely let you know when I'm all settled and moved in. <laughs> That's gonna change. I mean, what it's gonna really yeah. is like the next chapter. Yes, that's what I'm hoping, and uh, I'm really excited to just get out of here and get going. So, okay, I like totally digressed us though. So I really wanted to talk to you about, and I don't want to say his name wrong, the Matthew Herrick case. Is that how you say it? Okay. Yeah, that's so. I swear, like in this chapter, I was literally like just like curled up on the couch, like my knees were like against my body. I was like on the edge of my seat and I was just like infuriated for this poor guy and everything that he went through. So for people who don't know out there, can you just kind of like go through the basic facts of Mm -hmm. that case? Definitely. And um, it's also like, I like limit myself to like one hour maximum a day of talking about um, this particular yeah. law that we're going to talk about. <laughs> I get so like riled up that then I'm like tired for the next four hours because I'm yes. like, I'm like, um, I, I'm like, it like takes something like, it takes my life spirit out of me. <laughs> um, but like, it's also, like, I want to be talking about it because it's, it's like, I, I yeah. think a, um, a miscarriage of justice. But so I, I um, in 2016, I'm, I'm realizing it was that long ago. Is it? <laughs> um, in in, in um, the fall of 2016. No, is that is it possible? Can it be the 2017? I don't know. And I, I think it was 2016. Um, uh, this amazing, lovely man came into my office. He was with a legal aid attorney who. Um, kind of at her her wit's end they both were um because they like they didn't know how to stop this crazy situation uh, that he was experiencing and they knew that I sometimes dealt with internet type cases and maybe I could help and what was going on was that Matthew had just broken up with his his boyfriend who uh, you know, he'd left a controlling relationship, sound familiar, <laughs> and um, and his ex retaliated against him by impersonating him on the gay dating app Grinder. And he was, I mean, the ex was doing a lot of other stuff, like also false right. reports and, and, um, and fucking with his credit card and doing all sorts of, of other stuff. But the most intrusive thing was that he was impersonating Matthew on Grindr, creating these profiles with Matthew's picture and dick pics. And, and, um, and then he would um, communicate with other guys on Grindr and he would then DM them to Matthew's home and set up these sex dates. Um, oh made it look like Matthew had gay, um, or I'm sorry, rape fantasies. And sometimes would say that he had drugs to sell. Sometimes he would like impersonate Matthew and say that, say really homophobic things. But anyways, um, over the course of several months, more than 1200 people came to Matthew's job and to his home for sex. Strangers, 
I had had sent there. And Matthew like did everything he possibly could to make this stop. He reported the the his ex. He knew who it was. He knew it was his ex. Right. He reported his ex to the the police like ten times. He had an order of protection. He kept reporting that as being violated, and he reported to Grinder that this was happening like over and over again. He had his like loved ones create Grinder accounts to find the impersonating account and then they would report it and oh it was God. not stopping like can you yeah. imagine Cordelia if like during the course of this interview like your buzzer rang like <laughs> like three times and like no. somebody like, a stranger was here like thinking that you right. sent a, a sex date and had rape fantasies exactly and, like, that's terrifying and, like there were there were times when you know like Matthew's roommate like got into a skirmish with one of them one of them like stole the guy's like phone out of his hands like it was it was violent I mean like some people who came were were totally lovely and some were really dangerous um so you know I um you know thought okay well I can totally help I had just like worked with a bunch of tech companies um helping them create revenge porn like bans on their um yeah I was like really arrogant and cocky that like, sure, I'll just call up the general counsel at Grindr and ask them to please ban this user and please, you know, blacklist his, his, um, Mac ID so that he can't just create more, more, um, profiles. But then Grindr totally ignored me. (laughs) And, um, (laughs) and then we got a, then I went to court and, um, argued that this was, an emergency situation and we needed a restraining order against grinder to ban this user right or actually you know the judge signed that order and i you know served it on grinder and they ignored it and the guy <laughs> kept creating these profiles and more people kept coming and finally when grinder came to court uh their lawyer um basically they came to court to stop this this restraining order and their lawyer said that they um didn't have the technology to ban to permanently ban somebody from their platform (laughs) and we um were like that is crazy right Um, because you you literally invented a product that with with geolocating technology and you didn't think that like sometimes it would be abused by like stalkers and predators and, and in person. Exactly. And, and so we um, made the, turned the case into a, a products liability case. And we accused Grindr of having a dangerous product that they'd released a, a defectively designed and defectively manufactured product into the, the stream of right. commerce. And there was this law called um, the Communications Decency Act, Section 230. It's been in the media a lot because of Trump. And um, it says that basically um, you can't sue a platform for the conduct or content of of users. And so I knew about this law. I knew it very well going into this situation, which was why I very artfully wasn't suing Grindr for the content that... Right. Matthew's stalker ex-boyfriend was was 
publishing. I didn't even know what, you know, like we didn't even know what he was publishing or what, he, what DMs right. he was to strangers. I didn't even have that information. I couldn't sue them, sue Grindr for him. We were suing them for their own product. Right. Deficiencies. Um, and we were careful about that. And it was the first um, uh, product liability case against a tech company. And um, so we thought we had a, a real chance. And, and our goal again was, was not like, oh, we want to sue for all this money. It was that right. he, Matthew, like even after we filed this case, like Matthew was still getting people as many as 23 times a day. Like oh my God. showing up. Yeah. Like yeah. there was like one, like six minute stretch when four people came. They oh come God. to like his job. They'd follow him into yeah. the bathroom. And, and they were people that thought he was consenting. Yeah. So, um, so ultimately we lost. Um, we lost because of section 230 because the judge basically right. said, well, even though you're suing for products liability, you're actually skirting um, right. you're actually really like everything stems from this user yeah. content. And so, right. so the judge threw it out at, um, this a very early stage and we appealed it to the, um, court of appeals and for the second circuit here in New York right. and lost, <laughs> they affirmed the lower court's decision and then we made a special motion for them to rehear it and they refused. And then we right. pe petitioned the Supreme Court to, to hear it and they also refused. And so it took, you know, this three year process, yeah. us losing at every stage um, to conclude the case. And it was like the most emotional, like, legal experience of, of absolutely um where i was just like i knew like it was always a risky case yeah but it was still like absolutely devastating at every stage to, to keep losing because the courts would say that they agree with us that we have the correct moral argument right but that we don't but the law is not on our side and to me that is right. like so like wrong because yeah. the law, they like there was no case law on this issue they could yeah. have decided that the law was on our side exactly but they didn't want to and exactly. and so like and like it wasn't like a like a black and white issue where like yeah the law was not on our side this was like an right. unprecedented legal argument and, and they didn't want, you know, like, to, it still, like, makes me so fucking. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, like, like I, I, it's like, it's because it just goes against everything I believe in and that most of your listeners yeah. I know believe. <laughs> when there is not alignment between the law and, like, ethics and morality, then, like, yeah. a system is broken and something has to be changed. And that, like, pressure of, like, that, exactly. like, is not sustainable. And, and like exactly. for them to like be deliberately making these rulings. And I'm not saying like, this is not a case where there right. was all this case law and like there was, they had no yeah. way but to, but to rule. It was a, there, there were no cases like this and it wasn't, it wasn't a, a sure thing. And, and 
I, I feel like the, the judges were, were cowards and yeah. And I'm not being a sore loser here because I have lost, you know, other situations. No, absolutely I, I not. It. And even this, I get like, yeah, but, like, it's hard to like, it, it's just one of those things where it's just like, um, it just like, I know that like, I, yeah, like, I know we didn't lose. Like, I know that like, we actually changed the conversation in any case or right. any time they talk about changing this law, which is happening a lot. The Herrick v. Grinder case yeah. is always part of that conversation as justifying, you know, why this law that was supposed to just basically be for defamation cases and exactly. protect tech companies from being sued for, you know, users saying crappy things about other users. Well, yeah, I agree. We don't want the tech companies to be sued all the time for those, but they should be right. sued and they do have a moral responsibility to their users when their product right. is foreseeably defective. And like, it is like, I agree completely. And I mean, like you're saying, when the law came out, it was like 1996. That's, I mean, dating apps weren't even a thing. Like, yeah. And I mean, computers, well, technology as we know it weren't yeah. <laughs> even remotely how the they are today. The Communication Decency Act in 1996, as you said, it was like, it was written really narrow to deal with like not suing tech companies for defamation. But and like right. it was not written like where they could, where the drafters like saw what the future would be. And then the courts though have just like interpreted it so extravagantly over the years that now basically yeah. it completely means that we users have no, like we have no legal like recourse if something horrible happens to us. If, right. if if your kid is like the victim of child pornography and Facebook's algorithm somehow sends it to, you know, 3 million people, right. Facebook is saying that they have no legal responsibility so long as somebody else, you know, was the exactly. original of it. Um, yeah. And, and we have a bunch of other cases we're building that, that continue to challenge um, the responsibility that, you know, tech companies have to their users, but it's like, there's never been an industry that is just outside the reach of our courts. Exactly. That's not such even a the good gun way industry. to put it. Yeah. Not even the gun industry is, is protected like this. You know, if a gun mal malfunctions and blows up in your face, you can still sue the gun company. Right. Exactly. But like, we don't have that right when it comes to tech and these are the most like wealthy, omniscient, <laughs> omnipotent, like privacy breaching companies, industry in the history of the universe. <laughs> and like they yeah. know everything about us. We are yeah. just like their their freaking raw material, you know, that it's just here exactly. for them to like get information about and advertise at. And like we're not we're not their customers. <laughs> and we don't have any we're just like freaking like nuts and bolts to them and it's just like and like oh. and the the and now we're like at a point where they're also like 
paying lobbyists so much money to to protect them from any changes to legislation. They pour so much money into schools and law schools and symposiums and professors and journalists. So it's really hard to like actually find people who you know have dissent on this issue. I mean, yeah. um, well, and I'm even thinking like. I mean, I don't know how much money they spent defending against you in a three-year case that went to an appellate level, but I'm like, uh, I'm pretty sure you guys could have created a feature to delete. Yeah, it's <laughs> with that litigation cost. Yeah, <laughs> but okay. Seriously, and like, and like, it was like the thing is, there really aren't that many cases against against tech because this law is so yeah. prohibitive. And most attorneys, you know, a big law, like their clients are big tech and no right. one wants to like be suing, no one wants to be suing big tech, <laughs> exactly. for, you know, like crusaders, like, like me that are okay with like the, the potential loss. I mean, it was, it was yeah. a case, you know, so I spent, yeah. you know, the equivalent of about probably like a million dollars on, on right. like if I could have billed for my time it would have been easily yeah. that value exactly um, and so it's like you have like small fries like me absorbing the costs and the risk of taking on these these types of challenging cases which i yeah. i have no regrets about like it wasn't a, a financial yeah. well i, I think the way you filed it too it's it was really creative and really innovative and brilliant to kind of go at it from the product's liability standpoint. And I actually looked it up on Westlaw after I read Nobody's Victim and the appellate court opinion was on there. And I swear I was like screaming at my computer just reading what the court said because <laughs> they were like, I remember them comparing Grinder. Well, first of all, calling Grinder like a publisher. Yeah. And I remember them saying the word editorial function and I was like, editorial, like, what are they editing? This is literally a dating right. app. And even like, I remember the court kind of comparing it to like Facebook or roommates.com. And when I was reading, I'm like, okay, but even those things are so different. Like roommates.com, I'm looking for a roommate. Facebook is like social networking. Like Grinder is I'm trying to hook up with somebody like I'm trying to have sex with somebody <laughs> like there's a different like I'm trying to you know like yeah. the app like all dating apps the goal is to put people in like offline yeah. encounters and so there's like I think a, a heightened responsibility to to the users exactly yeah that is such a good point that they exactly like Facebook in particular I mean I don't have to meet anyone on Facebook ever. And I just, it really bothered me. Like the phrase, I'm sure you see it all the time, but just the phrase editorial function. I was just like, what the hell are they talking about? Like, how is Grindr, yeah. what is Grindr editing people's dating profiles? Do they have like, you know, somebody that's like, actually you made some grammar mistakes and I'm fixing your dating profile. Like, no, that's not what Grindr does. This is... <laughs> Just so ridiculous. But I mean, I know that that must have been a huge emotional toll for you. And 
obviously like financially like you said it just sucks that the big you know the the firms the big law that has all this capital and they have these resources to do those things they don't have any interest in taking that kind of stuff on yeah and it's just kind of sad in some ways I'm like glad because it it like leaves yeah like the really creative lawyering it leaves it to like like and I'll tell everyone all you listeners out there that like I was a shitty law student I got crappy grades like I I was not like a legal geek I didn't really care that much about the law I like (laughs) so like there's nothing special about me except that I really love to tell a story which I think is true of a lot of a lot of lawyers so um you know it's I I just want to like give a a shout out to any listeners that are like yeah but like how how could I do that like like right. I, I don't know, you know like it's like it's like with in this kind of law firm it's like a client comes to you with a problem and you have to just figure out how to solve it and that's yeah. what forces you to be creative and and to think to think that way it's not like i was like hmm, i'm suddenly really interested in product liability <laughs> and how i'm looking for the perfect case where i can just like yeah. sue that company for product liability it's like no like this guy's right ex-boyfriend is not stopping and and like I can't the criminal justice system isn't working the family court system isn't working the tech company is ignoring us there's this crazy law that says we can't we can't sue them for anything that a user does so what are we left with yeah well they're telling us they don't have this like basic feature that you would expect them to have and and like something clicked from like like I never had taken a product liability course but you just like what is there okay like this is a dangerous product and it's just like yeah. that words those words were enough to then be like well let's actually do some research into this exactly well and i love that because honestly whatever i feel like people always are gonna feel like imposters in so many ways but i guarantee you that you are a better lawyer than so many of the people that put like <laughs> law review or whatever on their applications like (laughs) the best lawyers I feel like are just creative and like you said they know how to tell a story so that's kind of what matters at the end of the day yeah but I do feel like after listening to this podcast because so many people on my Instagram and listeners they are survivors of abuse so I feel like I don't know like if I was listening to this I would be like I want to work with this carry person like how do I get a hold of her so I want to like pause for a second and just kind of I'm just gonna ask like questions that I feel like if I was listening I would want to know so if I live in New York are you able to represent me and what if I don't live in New York what if I live like in California or just somewhere else in the United States and then the other question that pops into mind is, do you only handle, since we've been talking about the cyber side, do you only talk, handle these kind of like internet cyber cases? Or what if I'm just, what if I was just abused, you know, by, <laughs> this sounds horrible, but like a more traditional way of abuse, not cyber, but, you know, I just come in and I'm like, I have an abusive husband, I have an abusive partner, 
I need help? Um, so let me start answering those questions yeah. and you can remind me if I miss anything. Okay, yeah, but, I will. Um, our attorneys are licensed in New York and New Jersey, but we take cases all over the country. And um, we do that by uh, working with a local attorney. And then if it's a litigation, then they, they can... Um, they can sponsor us pro hoc vice. So we, yes, we do take okay. cases wherever you are soon. Um, we're going to have a lawyer in California as well. Um, and yes, that's nationwide. Yeah. And <laughs> we represent um, not just people who've been um, harmed through something tech facilitated, um, but also um, not, I guess, like low low tech high tech and a low tech also low tech <laughs> there we um, go you know we do have people that were um that are some of our clients were sexually assaulted um and some of them are in uh, have been in physically abusive relationships i found that um virtually all of our stalking cases and really most of our um mm -hmm. most of our abuse cases have some physical or have some technological component because it's just such a convenient and um intuitive way to to hurt somebody and especially yeah um because we all have our our phones you know within reach and we all you know and and everyone's a publisher <laughs> like to bring it back <laughs> everyone's a publisher everyone's a reader um and so there's just like a lot of of ways you can hurt somebody and and a lot of technology um to anonymize yourself and, and stuff. Um, so yes. Um, what else, what other questions? Did I um, okay. I'm thinking if there's anything, sorry, I just, I shouldn't have grouped them in three. Um, no, I think I, you I, covered I, them, but if okay. they want, I'll link, I mean, I'll put like your website and everything in the show notes. Um, is that kind of the best way, I guess, for people to reach out? Um, like website, give you a, give your office a call or. Yeah. So our website, CA Goldberg law, um, it has a lot of just useful information. Um, and it also tells people how to contact us. Um, there's like a little form that they can fill out on the website. Um, and then we'll, we'll give them a call if they have a legal issue that, um, that we can help with. Um, there's Perfect. also, yeah. And then, um, my, I'm, I'm pretty active on Twitter. I love to tweet. Um, yeah. I'm not as active on Instagram or Facebook because I want to sue them. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but other team members of mine do, do, um, do handle like our, uh, yeah. those social media, but I'm, 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 I personally am very, very active on, on Twitter. So if you, um, want awesome. to, I'll be sure to link your, I'll link you know, your Twitter and Instagram and stuff too. So yeah. for sure people will be able to follow along and your website does have a lot of great resources. If I remember, I remember kind of going through it and there's like a stalking log and things like that. Um, yeah. So I also wanted to mention that I'll put, I'll link that in the show notes as well. Um, if anybody out there is being abused I think one thing that would be good for you to touch on is just how important it is to do things like a stalking log or preserving evidence. 
or just telling somebody yes. about the abuse, creating any kind of just record or proof mm-hmm. of what's going on. So I guess, you know, in terms of like advice um, that I have to people who may find themselves or a loved one um, in like a stalking or abusive uh, situation, my, my first goal, and you mentioned this earlier, Cordelia, is just like, it's, it's something that my best friend and I say to each other, NWA, never worry alone. <laughs> and Ooh, yeah. you know, finding that person in your life who is non-judgmental and who can just kind of, who you can tell something to that isn't going to pressure you or make you make a decision or something, but it's just going to kind of be a container for the scary stuff you're dealing with is really important. Um, And, you know, you don't necessarily, there are sometimes people in um, our lives who are judgmental if we tell them about abuse or they, they feel like they want to intervene or they take it very personally. If you don't leave the situation after they tell you to, and they're mad that you didn't take their advice (laughs) or like when you finally do leave, they are pissed off that you for so long didn't take their advice, blah, blah, blah. You want to, you want to find somebody who, who, and it might not be somebody that's like you normally would go to, but you just have a feeling that they're, maybe there's something about them that makes you think that they've been through something similar and that they're going to kind of understand and just like you know it's having somebody to confide in is just like so critical even if you're at a point where you're not ready to actually make make a big step to leave the relationship having somebody who you can kind of just listen to yourself tell the person what you're going through is like the first step of of getting ready to to go um and then you know there's a lot of advice I have about breaking up and I really want people to, to probably the best thing is, is to, to read the book. But you know, if if you're in a relationship with somebody who's really controlling and scary, um, you, it's not going to be successful to break up with them. Like in person, (laughs) just, just, they're going to talk you out of it. They're going to, they're going to turn the relationship or turn the conversation over on its head and and sometimes even though it might feel really weird and sometimes the best way to to break up with somebody who's abusive is to do it by by email or text message and to just be very short and simple about it and not give them all this context that then they're going to argue against you about and just to just say you know a decision's been made um i have to end the relationship and you know, think about what the logistics are. Is is the other person going to be super obsessed with like, oh my God, like, you know, like I want my stuff back or, I, right. you know, like, um, but what about like our trip to Cancun next month or <laughs> right. a pet or, you know, a shared lease, you know, like what is, you know, like those are all things that can actually be worked out. Um, and sometimes they're used as excuses to stay, to overstay in a relationship. Um, but exactly. it, it's more complicated if there are kids, but um, yeah. these are all things that I, I can help with. I, I help people break up all the time. Um, and, and chapter 
like the introduction, I talk about it with, with my friend, my um, client, Francesca, who had to break up with somebody. Um, yeah. But you know, making sure you're safe is, is number one. And then if there is retaliation, if there is stalking, you just want to make sure you're recording everything, like screenshotting everything, um, that you're not deleting stuff, even though it might be really disturbing. This is the evidence that you need if uh, you have to report something to the police or get a restraining order. But number yeah. one, like, don't be afraid to to spend money on yourself if you're trying to leave something. You know, it might feel indulgent and decadent and you might be really afraid of, of money issues, but like, if you have to stay in a hotel for a couple nights because you're scared, like that is money like worth spending. And it's, and right. there are people in your life who will help you if you just ask. And they might not be the people that, you know, yeah. you normally go to, but it could be a boss or a coworker. I know that if any of my staff members were in an abusive position, I would yeah. certainly help them out. And I think we all have somebody in our life that, that can and would. Absolutely. It's so true. Just having, I think just being able to lean on some people is, it makes such a big yeah. difference. Yeah. Absolutely true. And people want to help, you know, like, yeah, they do want to help. That's so true. And I mean, what you said earlier about <laughs> NWA, I love that. And my best friend was definitely that person for me. She is she should honestly teach a master class because she was just <laughs> so good at, you know, she never let on or she never shamed when I wasn't ready to leave. Like she was, she would just listen and just validate my feelings. And she would even validate when I was like, I don't know, I, I don't want to leave yet. Like, I just want to stay. And she would be like, that totally makes sense. Like, I'm here. Like, you know, she never was just... Wow. That's, never was yeah. hating on him because I think that would have isolated. Yeah, you would have just not gone to her and then you maybe yeah. would have been nobody and it would exactly. have been so much scarier. <laughs> and even I, I felt like she was pretty smart too. Like in the beginning when I finally decided to leave, she was very proud, but she wasn't, she didn't immediately jump on the like, I hate him so much. Fuck him. You know what I mean? Like she like gradually, I think she just kind of like sensed my feelings and like kind of let me work through it. And then when I got to my angry phase, she was like, you know, like she was there, but she never, she just never made me feel like, okay, I'm so fucking tired of hearing this. Whereas I've definitely had that experience with others where I just felt like, okay, this isn't a safe space. <laughs> I'm so yeah. glad you have her. Yeah. Well, I mean, honestly, I so appreciate you. And I, everybody should read your book. It should be required reading. But anybody listening to this podcast, I think, should read it. There's so much in it. And anybody who's struggling from a standpoint of what we've kind of high level gone over today, you know, anything like stalking, any revenge porn, anything like that. I absolutely think that you're a great resource to contact. And I hope, uh, I think that you're on like the front lines of so many of these kinds, especially these cyber cases. 
like you said, I mean, it's just really unprecedented issues. And I think anybody would be very, very lucky to work with you. Uh, So I really appreciate it. I want to end on kind of a happier note. So I'm going to ask you to just share with us what you're currently binge watching. (laughs) Oh, what I'm binge watching? Um, Well, I'm more binge listening right now. Ooh, okay. Um, To the You're Wrong About podcast. Ooh, okay. I haven't listened to that. So what is that about? Oh my God. Okay. These, these amazing people, they're like about, most of the episodes are about an hour long and it's amazing people named Michael Hobbs and Sarah Marshall. And they take turns where they like get re like one of them gets really deep into a subject. It might be, um, Tanya Harding one week or the challenger explosion or, Um, or the Janet Jackson halftime show. Usually, like the best yeah. ones are like the ones from the '90s. Or there was a, yeah. um, they have this like amazing series about OJ, and basically they they um, one of them does a deep dive, and then okay. the other one um, doesn't really necessarily know much about the topic at all. And so so then so then it's just like this really like amazing conversation between them where. Um, somebody just kind of like one of them dispels the myths about this particular, this particular thing or that. And I like, I love it. I'm like getting worried because I'm consuming them. (laughs) They're being made and I like, don't know what to do. Sounds amazing. So does a new episode come out like every week or every week? Yeah. Okay. I need to to listen. That sounds so good. I totally recommend it. That sounds amazing. my life hack is that I, I get on the Peloton and choose my favorite <laughs> class, and then I listen to that. That's amazing. So I like to ride the Peloton and listen to. I like a podcast called True Crime Obsessed. That's really uh-huh. funny. True True Crime Obsessed. Yes, and it's really funny. It's, gosh, what's the girl's name? It's like Jillian and Patrick. They're best friends, and it's really well done. She also does. Jillian does the Hamilcast podcast of like the Hamilton. I don't know. It's been long running, but True Crime <laughs> Obsessed, they do, they find like a documentary about true crime and then they'll play like clips from the documentary during it, but they kind of like walk you through and it's on, for some reason, it's like better than watching the documentary because it's like their commentary. So I just listened to the one that came out the other day, which was the Framing Britney uh like they did part one and it's so good. I mean, they just, their banter is great. So you should check it out. It's amazing. I will. That sounds great. <laughs> yeah, like like uh, I, I trust you, like in your, your podcast. I know. Yeah, exactly. Well, I so appreciate you taking time today and it's been such an honor to oh, thank chat you. with you. Well, it's an honor to be invited to, to come <laughs> chat with you, Cordelia, and, and to be listened to by your listeners. So thank you. Thank you.